So it's a quick change between baptisms and preaching. And I generally forget something. I've just always hoped that it's never my flies. So there you go. Now I know that everyone is excited to get outside for the carnival. My son is really, his prayer life on moments like this really increased because he prays that I don't go on too long so he can get out on the bouncy castles and the, uh, the jousting that's outside and lunch as well. But I know it's been said before, but if you are visiting with us, if you're a guest with us today, we want to especially welcome you. But also if you've been around for many, many years, you are welcome here as well. And if you don't normally go to church, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, at the end of what I say today, I'm going to give you a challenge to enter into that life with Jesus that many in this room already have. And those three people that you saw going through what we call the waters of baptism have done a while back as well. And uh, I pray that something that's said, something that you may have even sung or experienced this morning will connect you into the life, the love, the grace, and the forgiveness that Jesus brings. But if you're already a follower of Christ, whether you're part of our church or part of another church, I really want to give you, give us a challenge that I pray you'll do something about. It won't be just, oh yeah, let's get out for lunch or let's get out. I want you to think about what I say today. It's a very simple challenge. About 27 years ago, I was in a youth meeting in church, in a little church in a place called Sunderland in the northeast of England. And I turned around and I saw this girl. I remember exactly what she was wearing and how she looked. I remember her long, flowing, dark hair. I noticed a lot of things about her girl, this girl. I noticed, as I said, her hair, but also her beauty. I remember what she was wearing. She was wearing jeans, a white shirt, and tan-colored boots. Now, I did go on to marry her, just in case you're thinking, this is a bit weird if he's talking about someone else, but she is now my wife. But the thing is, what I first noticed about her were not the reasons that I married her. When you meet someone, what do you notice about them? Their eyes, their face, their hair, their clothes, their muscles, their smile, the way they talk, the way that they make you feel, maybe. We all pick up, don't we, and make assessments from the signs when we meet people. We, we try and figure them out. We try and work out, what are they like? You know, they say, you know, what's... What's the saying that, that first impressions count? But we notice things and we make assessments on what we see and hear about people. Quite a few years ago, a, a friend of mine, he, uh, he ran a scaffolding firm. And he went into a Porsche garage and uh, he, asked, he asked to test a brand new 911. Is there a problem with the, the mic there? That Do I need to do something to help you, Ravi? Just move it a bit further away, see if that helps. He went into the garage to, or the car dealership, and he asked to test drive a brand new 911. 
They turned their noses up at him and turned him away. What they didn't realize in their initial assessment of him, because he walked in wearing, what do you call wellies here? Do you call them wellies? Gumboots, they call them in Australia? Rubber boots. I think wellies is a better term. So he walked in wearing his dirty wellies and dirty overalls and just they had a jacket on because he'd just come from work. What they didn't realize was that he had enough money on him at that moment to buy a Porsche 911 Turbo cash. You see, their initial assessment was, I can see what you're wearing. You're just a blue-collar worker with not enough money to be in this place. What is it that they, uh, the shop work, that um, Julia Roberts says to the shop worker? Big mistake. Big mistake. You see, they made their assessments as they turned their noses up at him. When you first walked into our church, or maybe even today, you walked into our church, if it's your first time, what did you notice? Did you notice the building, the car park? Did you notice the incredible uh, car show that's already going on out there? The guys have got their cars lined up. What did you notice? The building, maybe the welcome that you received as you walked through the door, the music, the lights, the kids on the platform. All of these things, consciously or subconsciously, people made an assessment. Even those that come here every single week, week after week, we still make those assessments. And many of you will be looking for signs of strength within our church. I want you to throw the first picture up. This, this is what I'd like my living room to look like. <laughs> There's only one problem with that picture. It needs to be an Aston Martin, not a Maserati. And you could disagree with me, but you would be wrong. See, that's, that's what I wish it looked like. We could call that picture wishful thinking. Now, the next picture is more what our house, maybe not so much now, but what our house really resembles. No, no. Any parents with me on that one? It's like, yeah, that's more the reality than the Instagram filtered first one. That's more what it's like. See, the first picture is not the strength of the house. Throw up the next picture. This is the strength of our house. This is an old picture, as you can see from Judah as he is now to who he was then. But as much as I would love to have that first picture as the strength of our house, sort of, maybe for a fraction of a minute, maybe for a bit longer if it wasn't Aston Martin in there, this is the strength of our house. And this season, this series that we're talking about is called Strength. And we've got some different people that are going to speaking, be speaking on different aspects of strength. And today, I want to talk about the strength of our house, the strength of this church 
community. So we've got different people. My, my dad is actually, my mum and dad are coming out in about a week and a half. And I'm excited to see them again in person. And my dad's going to be speaking on strength in a few, few weeks as well. But let me read a scripture to you. Genesis 49 verse 3 says this. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in powder, power. The Bible tells us that children are a sign of our strength. Here it tells us that they are the first sign of our strength. They're not the only sign, but they are definitely the first sign of our strength. And this is the one simple thought that I want to leave with you today. You saw our kids on stage here. And our kids, and I want to expand that thought a bit more in a few moments, but the kids here are the first sign of our strength, not our incredible building, not our enormous car park, and not even, may I say, the fact that there's a poutine truck waiting just for me outside. Our kids are a sign of our strength. When our children were born, our house had to, tra- had to change dramatically. Many of you will have been through this. You have a kid's level, don't you? You have all your pretty ornaments down on the, on the floor and everything's lovely and all set up nice. And then you have a baby. And they're still okay at that stage because they can't move. And then they start to roll over. And then, and then one day, you take your eyes off them for a moment and they've rolled to the other side of the living room. Ever had that? And they're rolling towards all your lovely ornaments and glass things. And you're like, ah! And so what you do then is you pick your ornaments up and you lift them up to a new level. And then as your kids grow and they start to walk, they get higher and higher. And then, like these guys down here, they start playing basketball in the house. And there is no safe place whatsoever. But our house changes when we have kids. Ornaments are raised up. Cupboards have to be locked. But not only did our house have to change, but I had to change as well. Our our watching, TV watching changed. I had to. I mean, I got to watch Lazy Town, Pingu, Charlie and Lola, H2O, High School Musical, Tinkerbell, Gravity Falls. Not my choice, may I add. But because I have kids and I love them, I chose to enjoy watching many of those things with them. Not because I enjoy them, but because they enjoy them. Whitney Houston many years ago sang the song, Children Are Our Future. You know, I get to, over many years, I've had the privilege of spending time with a lot of pastors from across the world, from large churches to small churches to medium, whatever. And one of the biggest complaints that I hear over and over again from people, from pastors, is that they have no youth or kids. This is a problem. It's a problem to them. They recognize there is a problem that they don't have any kids in their church. But then I begin to talk to them and ask them some questions. What, what sort of music do you play? How, how do you deal with things? 
What sort of thing, what, what sort of audiovisual stuff do you watch? And the problem is, is that they go and they talk about what they prefer in terms of style of music or the way that the service is run. And essentially what they're saying is they want the kids, but they don't want to have to move the ornaments. They don't want to have to change what they watch on TV. They don't want to move things so that things are done in a different way. They don't want to change their music listening to accommodate the new children in the house. How many people love Baby Shark? <laughs> Maybe for the... You are a sick individual. <laughs> and you obviously have only listened to it once or twice, not 300 times like many of the poor people needing therapy in this room right now. <laughs> but we learn to live with it, don't we? We get in our car and we put the music to whatever it is that we like, Cruise FM or, or some of the 95.3, whatever it is, and it's like, cool. Then we have kids and we have Baby Shark over and over and over again. And what many of these pastors are saying is, I want things the way I like it. I want, I want the kids, but I don't want to change to be able to do that. Now, you may... And I guess I'm speaking very much to the followers of Jesus in our service, and particularly to our people. You may have a preference in the style of music that we sing our worship to. But if you make your preference, your decision on whether you stay in this church, then at some stage you will leave. Because styles change, even though we don't. We have incredible youth coming through in our services, but also on our worship team as well, who like different styles. Can I say music is just tradition? And I'm not going into making this just about music, but it can be an important factor. Music is just tradition. We, if you like hymns, and I love hymns, believe me, I love hymns. But if that's what you base everything on, and, and that's your tradition, and you have to have your tradition. You see, some churches love their traditions more than their children, and I'm not saying we do. So they keep their tradition and lose their children. Here's the problem. Children, as you see on that picture, bring mess. But they also bring strength. Proverbs Proverbs 14, verse 4 says this, Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty. But from the strength of an ox comes an abundant harvest. Children bring mess, but they also bring strength. The mess and the strength go together. If we want strength within our church, then we have to learn how to deal with the mess. We have to learn how to deal with change. We have to learn how to deal with things that are not our preference. We change the house because we have children. We sing different things. We watch different things. We move the ornaments so they don't get broken. Not because we prefer it, but because we love our children and we want them around. How many grandparents do I have in the house? 
I can guarantee you that your house changed when you had grandchildren. It's not just parents that do that. We embrace our grandchildren. We move things around here. We have learned to pick up Nerf bullets in this church. Yes, Temi. It's nice now that John, where's John Ravichanda? John Ravichanda doesn't bear the blame for everything in our church anymore. We've now handed that on to Temi and Moses. See, we, we pick up the Nerf bullets, don't we? And we put them in our pocket and laugh. It's an inconvenience, but we get on with it because we love our children. See, no mess, no strength. And I'm, at this moment, talking about our natural children, the, little, the kids that we, we saw on stage, but I want to broaden that because we need to say the same about our spiritual children, those that come to faith within our church. You know, nearly every single week we have people saying yes to Jesus in this place. I, some of them are, I don't know what you're talking about, but I want what you have. See, that's a baby Christian. Someone who has no real concept of faith, but knows what they see. And they're a baby in faith. Matthew 18, verse 1 to 5, is a, it's an incredible passage of Scripture. And let me read it to you. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Let me, let me give you a bit of contextual history here. At that time, humility was not seen as a virtue. Because in the, in the Roman and the Greek empires and the empires that covered the world, humility was seen more as a vice, as a weakness. And Jesus, with what he said and the way he died on the cross, actually changed everything at that moment. We know that humility is a virtue. Not because we've always known that, but because actually when you look through history, Jesus' death in a humiliating way changed that. Jesus, in this moment, changed their perception he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Jesus is saying, become like a child in their humility, in their curiosity. In their love. Generally after the service, there's one young girl who, she comes up to me nearly, nearly every single, I think every service that she's here, she comes up and she's drawn something in kids' church for me and she presents it to me and I love it. Before the service, one of the, a few of the other kids come up and this morning they ran at me and I... <laughs> Pick them up in my arms. They're Abramoff, so they're going to grow really quickly, and it won't be long before I won't be able to hold either of them. <laughs> Glad Lincoln doesn't do that. <laughs> but you see, there's a, there's a welcome. There's, there's, there's an inhibition. They don't care who's watching them. Can we become like that?
Can we take on what Jesus says and become like little children in our humility? See, because humility equals greatness. What we see here as Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, it doesn't come from traditional strength, power, wisdom, knowledge. It comes from humility. Jesus turned the idea of what strength is upside down. He actually took the idea of strength and he turned it on its head. He reversed society's understanding, not just a small group of people around him, but society down through the ages began to slowly take on this idea of humility as a virtue. Jesus called us to be like little children. One of the the really great scholars of Jesus' time, who was one of the Pharisees, a man called Nicodemus, came to Jesus. He said, what must I do to inherit, inherit eternal life? What must I do to be like you, Jesus, he said. And Jesus said, you must be born again. And that's where we get that phrase, born again. Become like a child. Become like a baby. And that's what Jesus said to him. And so in this church, children are our strength, not just our physical birth children, but our spiritual children that come to faith. Say yes to Jesus and we take, on, take them on. See, having kids should mean something to us as a church. If we as a church want to grow, and we do, we want not just so that we've got more bums on seats, but because we want more people to know Jesus, more people to experience this community. If we do, then we need to expect more mess. And that's tough for people that want everything set out right and done in the right order, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we have to expect mess. Jesus, when he called his disciples to him, he said, look out, there's a harvest. There's, there's people out there who want to be in this community of people. So the problem, isn't, the problem isn't with the people out there. The problem is with what he called the laborers, the harvesters. Do you know who that is? It's me. It's you. It's us. We have a problem because sometimes we don't want to change what we do and how we do it and move the ornaments around because of our preference. And even for us as a church, you know, we, we're in a season really of working out who we are post-COVID restrictions and, and post the Bolt family legacy, which is an incredible legacy of, of 60 or so years. And we are working out who are we now in this season, in this new world, this new society that we live in. What is this thing called church? Is it just something I go along to and I loved what Austin was talking about? It's not just a, an event that we attend on a Sunday or a building that we come into. It's a community of people who care for each other, who look after each other, who love Jesus together. What is this thing called church all about? Let me ask you, why does a soldier train? They train because they want to get stronger. 
They train because they want to march better. They train because they want to run faster, to clean a gun better. Maybe they train because they don't want to be killed. You see, they do all of those things as part of their training. But a soldier trains so that they are ready, prepared for battle. A soldier's purpose is for battle. Jesus talks about the strength of the church and the purpose only once. He says, I'm going to build my church so strong that even the gates of hell can't stop it. So Jesus states that he wants the church to be strong for battle, strong for our mission. I think too often we fight the wrong battles. We fight against each other. We fight against those we perceive as worse than us. We fight against those that don't vote like I do. We fight against those that do, that do, don't, did, or didn't wear masks. Or do we fight against an enemy that is seeking to destroy our souls and the very church itself? That's not people. So what do we do? In your life, if you want to harvest, in our church, if we want to harvest, we need to expect a mess. We need to love people like a parent or a grandparent loves their children or grandchildren. Even when a child messes things up, even when a child rejects you, we don't stop loving them. If we want our lives to grow, if we want our church to grow, we need to have kids in our building around our lives. If you're a follower of Jesus, can I say your life is not your own? The Bible is really clear on that. When we go through baptism, we're saying we identify with Jesus Christ, not just the word Christian, but we are saying my life is not my own. I've given myself over to him, to his mission, to his purpose. To show the same love that Jesus showed to you and to the people in your world. As a Christian, we don't get to a certain age and then decide to stop having spiritual children. And to stop caring for them. Have we become so busy with our sports, jobs, programs, late Calvins that we have no time to look after the spiritual children that God is sending to our church? Unfortunately, in our world, too many of us as Christians have had vasectomies. Let me ask you a dumb question. If there are no children, is it the children's fault? No. The lack of harvest, as Jesus was really clear, is the laborer's problem, not the harvest's fault. God has placed us, Circle Drive, in an area where there is an abundance of harvest. An abundance of people want to know Jesus. They don't necessarily know it. They can't articulate it, but there is something lacking in their lives. So are we going to do something about it? See, the strength of Circle Drive is shown in our youth and in our kids, both natural and spiritual. And in the same way we look after our babies, our kids, our youth at home, 
we do the same for those that are coming to faith with Jesus as spiritual babes, spiritual children. No kids, no strength. Let me warn you again, if you haven't got it already, kids bring mess and sometimes heartache, but they bring more joy than you could ever, ever imagine in your life. We want a house that resounds, a church that resounds with the noise of kids, the mess of kids, natural and spiritual. Jesus said, bring the little children to me. Are we still doing that? Can we as a church, yes we can, but can I as an individual say that? Our children are a sign of our strength. Jesus loves the little children all the children of the world. Will we at Circle Drive continue to love, grow in our love for what Jesus loves? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity on Kickoff Sunday to start this series on strength. But God, I pray that we won't walk away from this without challenging and looking at our own lives, looking at our own Preferences, looking at our own priorities. I pray that we will continue to have children as our strength in this church. Amen. I'd just like everyone, just, just for a moment, to keep our heads bowed, eyes closed. And as I said at the beginning, I'm going to offer a challenge and an opportunity for people to make their peace with Jesus. And in this moment, what I'm asking you is, if you've never done this before, if you've never said yes to Jesus, you're ready to say yes to his love, his grace, his forgiveness in this moment. I want to know this, Jesus. You might be, it might be a baby step for you to say, I just want what these people have. See, Jesus talks about forgiveness of sin. Everything we've done wrong. As we step into new life with him, he forgives us. Maybe you're here and you've made a decision like this before, but you've gone away. You've walked out of a relationship with Jesus. And I'm speaking through to our people online as well. You're saying yes to Jesus, yes to coming back into family. Maybe not for the first time, but for returning home. Or maybe you're here as a young person, you've grown up in church. And your, your faith experience has always been under the umbrella of your family. And you know today you need to say yes to Jesus for yourself with every head bowed. Because I just want to give people, a, I guess, a bit of privacy between them and God. With every head bowed, every eye closed, you want to say yes to Jesus? I'm just going to ask you to simply put your hand in the air. One of the team might point you out to me. And then we're going to pray a prayer together, all together. I'm not going to embarrass people. But who in this room is ready to say yes, or maybe even online, say yes to Jesus, his grace, his love, his forgiveness? Okay. For those of you that have said yes, whether it was a hand going in the air or just maybe even a quiet yes in your heart, we're going to say a prayer. We're all going to bow our heads and respect this moment and I'm going to say some words and if you want to say them either out loud along with me or quietly do that and at the end of that 
we celebrate because we celebrate every single decision, whether it's in the room or from someone online. We celebrate that decision. Dear God, I come to you now as a spiritual baby and I give my life to you. Jesus, I thank you for the life that you gave and I take hold of the life that you give. I ask that you forgive my sin and from this moment forward, I am now a follower of Jesus. Amen. Come on, church, why don't we celebrate people making decisions?